Hi everybody and welcome to the latest episode of the NSL's podcast. My name is Stephen, the host of the NSL's podcast and I'm joined by a show regular Anthony. How are you Anthony? I'm very good Stephen, uh, good result at the weekend and uh, obviously very excited about the, the start of the Europa League uh, bumper show tonight so yeah, can't wait to get started. Yeah, 100%. We're going to start this show totally different than how we would another show. So we're going to look ahead to the, the Real Betis game. Obviously, you know, there's been a lot lots going on for Celtic, both domestically in the boardroom, the win over Ross County. But we'll get to all that soon. But I want to introduce a special guest. Now, after you work with this fella, so I want to introduce Vicente Perez. How are you? Hello, uh, Stephen. Hi, Anthony. How are you, mate? It's good to, good to talk to you. feel like I've just been talking to you at work. I'm fine, I'm fine, just uh, ready for this show and uh, for the show later on with Betis Granada. Hey, love it, it's brilliant to have you on, I mean this is a, a Spanish flavour to the Celtic podcast, something we've never had before, so I'm looking forward to it, and as you said there, you're a real Betis fan, and that's our first game coming up here in the Europa League, which we're all very excited, but before we get into that, Vicente, I want to come to you about yourself, how you get into the real the real Batiste and what the team means to you as a supporter? Well, um, Stephen, this is uh, interesting because uh, I'm not from Seville, you know, I'm from near Seville, but not exactly from from the city. So some people, you know, uh, Sevilla uh, or Betis fans from Seville could say the same question, why you are a Betis supporter? But basically, it's... Uh, Something when you are a kid and you start playing football, um, I, I used to have a teacher, and the teacher was quite, you know, uh, saying always to us, uh, instead supporting, you know, Real Madrid or Barcelona, or just, you know, teams that they always win, why, you know, it's better to support a team from your region, you know, uh, something more local. And those days, obviously, um, Betis was playing well. It was a, a team that if historically always have uh, uh, supporters everywhere in Spain. And obviously, the colors, you know, green and white, that was something that catch me a lot as well. And I thought, you know what? I think this is the team I want to support. And since then, you know, Betis uh, forever. <laughs> I mean, the green away colours, Anthony, I mean, they, they attract everybody, don't they? I mean, Celtic and, and Batiste, and just as Vicente said there, it's the connection you build when you're younger, when you're at school. And that's very much the way I was in terms of being at school and my family as well, and I'm pretty sure yourself. But in, in terms of uh, Batiste, Vicente, the Celtic and Batiste connection, I mean, that's been spoke about now since this group has been drawn. Was that something you were aware of, even more so now that you've moved to Scotland? Well, uh, yes, uh, and, and actually, um, it's interesting because um, uh, before knowing that, I, I always thought that uh, Real Betis colors is something to do with the, you know, our flag, which is also green and white. But then, uh, you know, when you start listening and knowing more about football, um, I just found out that um, it was one of the uh, first, you know, um, President or you know, members of the the you know the Betis uh, team who went used to live in Glasgow um, many 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 years ago and and he just got in love with the Celtic colors and green and white and he he was you know one of the main people in Betis uh, those days and they decided to go for green and white for Betis. And when they still didn't have a you know a, an official color, and and just to make difference, instead having the, the the strips horizontal, they decided to go in vertical, as you know uh, probably, and um, and then later on, it just happened that you know when when the, the Spain create all the regions and stuff like that, well the the over um, Andalusia, which is the region flag is also green and white but people think that uh, the the betis colors is because of the flag but it's actually the opposite you know the betis colors came before even the the andalusian flag and and that's all to do with celtic basically um <laughs> that was the, the basically the history behind 
So basically, real Batiste are looking up the Celtic and, and their shirts and copying us. Is, is that right, Vicente? <laughs> uh, well, uh, yeah, it's, uh, actually, I think one, two, two or three years ago, the, the, the Real Betis did uh, one of these uh, batch of uh, T-shirts, exactly in horizontal as well. But I don't think they, they were expecting that they were, they were so popular and they just sold them out so quickly that it was impossible to get one of them. So yeah, it's a you know a good a good relation between Celtic and, and Betis along the history. Yeah, I hundred percent agree with you. And Anthony, we talk about the the Betis and the, the Celtic connection in regards to the kits, but also the region that Betis are uh, real Betis are from as well, Sevilla. I mean, us Celtic fans have happy memories, and even though we lost the final, but it was a journey up to that, and that's something, Anthony. Maybe I mean, if you're hoping we can get something kind of similar this year, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. It would be fantastic if uh, that famous uh, journey to Seville uh, was to happen again this year. Um, I, th- I think we would be very, uh, things would have to, uh, we'd have to get very much the, the rub of the green for something like that to happen again. But yeah, as, as Vicente says there, um, Stephen, it's just, it's this, it's incredible to think that w- despite having this sort of unofficial connection and this uh, sort of good relationship between the, the two sides and both sets of supporters uh, a lot of uh, that, that those, those friendships were renewed uh, when Celtic went over for that match uh, in the UEFA Cup final um, but it's incredible to think that with all of these sort of little connections and, and good uh, relations that the two clubs have, have never met in competitive action of, of, they're relatively both frequent flyers in, in Europe um, but they've, we've just never been drawn together. So I think, it's, and it's a real shame that it's happened this season rather than maybe next year when you know fans would be perhaps be able to travel over to both uh, to both stadiums. Uh, I think they were looking at trying to have even a small section of Celtic supporters over, but just with the current travel restrictions, that's not going to be possible. Which is a real shame because you you could just picture the the fantastic scenes that would have been outside the stadium. Uh, you know, friends across the sea, uh, sort of thing, uh, coming together to watch their their teams play. Um, I think Celtic and and Betis, they kind of they're very symbolic of everything that's good about football uh, in a in a world where sadly that's not always the case. But, but um, I'm really looking forward to Thursday night. I think it will be uh, quite the occasion. Yeah, I mean, Alfie, you make a great point there in terms of the, the away support. Uh, there was an allocated kind of gate for them in terms of fans visiting the stadium and stuff, but that didn't quite come off. And as you said, due to COVID regulations, it got kind of uh, t- took off the table, so to speak. But coming to yourself, Vicente, talking a wee bit about the, the Real Batiste Stadium. I mean, I've seen pictures of it. Obviously, I've never been, but it looks fantastic. Is it a stadium that you visited often when you were younger? Um, well, because um, I live uh, my home, my parents live uh, about three hours from Seville. Uh, I never didn't have many opportunities to to go to the stadium, but I remember a few times escaping without telling my family to Seville um, uh, when I was studying in Granada to see uh, you know some games. Uh, I, 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 that was when the stadium wasn't not totally completed, and and um, but still you know it's uh, it was uh, about fifty thousand or forty thousand. People, you know, um, all supporters uh, uh, cheering at the same time, and the atmosphere is unbelievable. And now with the the stadium, the, the one of the goals uh, finished and completed as uh, the rest of the stadium. Now I think it's uh, 50, 55,000 people what they can fit there, and and honestly, it's unbelievable. The the, the atmosphere is uh, something. That you need to you need to see. Probably you are familiar because you know Anshul and Celtic ground is also uh, uh, amazing to see the football in life. But uh, when you go to, to your stadium and you see about you know fifty thousand people all supporting the same team, it's a, it's a something really uh, impressive. And I, I I I was lucky that I managed to see a few good games um and also something one i remember once i don't know if i can tell you that as well i remember once uh, i went with my um girlfriend at that time and and she was a bit oh i don't think it's a good idea to go to football if it's dangerous 
And I was like, nah, come on, it's okay, you know, it's a, <laughs> it's a good atmosphere, blah, blah, blah. And you will surprise. And she was uh, shocked because obviously uh, it's like, um, I was putting the example, it's like going to church because the whole family with kids, all different generations going <laughs> to see the football and singing and clapping hands and just, uh, you know, cheering. Uh, and she was totally su surprised that it was actually no scary and good, good to see football in life, which she probably she never really would want to see the football and the television because she thinks it's boring. But it's totally different story when when she saw in real life. And, and I, I think that's the main thing, you know, when you go to the stadium the, to see that life. Yeah, as you said, I mean, 18 months, every football fan in the world basically didn't get a chance to go see their team at a football stadium. Um, when I was back watching Celtic play hard, so it was emotional. And it was emotional for, I think, everybody who's been there often. And, I mean, Vincente rightly says, it's the connection you feel when you walk into that stadium. And, yes, many people watch on the TV. It's totally different. Don't get me wrong. I watch Celtic wherever I can on, on dodgy streams on a phone at six inches on a, on a tablet, wherever I can get it. But <laughs> he, he's right, Anthony, isn't he, in terms of when you go to the stadium and you feel the atmosphere, it just makes you fall in love with the club all over again, especially being 18 months out. Absolutely, yeah. Um, my first game back uh, at Celtic Park was the Hearts game as well, Stephen. Um, and it, it was, it was just, the, the game itself is just one small part of the, the full match day experience. It's, it's senior friends and, you know, meeting like-minded people, so people that you don't even know, but you all shared the same sort of common purpose for, 90 minutes of wanting your team uh, to be victorious. You know, you have a few drinks, you you know, you catch up, you shoot the breeze, you you see the, the team news coming through and, you you know, you sort of debate about the pros and cons of each player in each position and whatnot. It's it's just a, it's something that the, the whole footballing world's missed, uh, sadly, uh, the last 18 months. But it's absolutely great to, to have it back now. Um, as I say, I've not visited uh, Betis' stadium myself, but... Having worked closely with Vicente, whenever he's back home on his holidays, he's been over for a couple of games and he always shows me the pictures uh, when he gets back of um, him and his, you know, his father and, and, and whatnot being at the stadium. And it just, it seems very a similar setup to Celtic Park. You know, everyone just there to have a great time. Um, so, yeah, it's as, like, like I say, I think it's going to be a, a special game on, on Thursday night. Yeah, I mean... Come with yourself, Vicente, again. We'll get into a bit of the, the details about Real Batiste as the current state of play at the moment in La Liga. And these are, these are managed by Pellegrini. Obviously, people know him from being a Manchester City manager. He won the league as well with them, which, which is a good achievement. But in terms of the form Betis have get into, get into the game, Vicente, I mean, I think it's two draws and a loss against Real Madrid at the minute. And obviously, these are playing Granada tonight because this was recorded on Monday. So that's at nine o'clock. But... How do you feel coming into the game against Celtic in terms of real, real, the real baddest form? Well, um, as exactly uh, happens at the end of uh, last season, um, we are having problems with the striker. We don't have a a, a guy in front who who can score score goals, you know, easily, and that's why we have only two draws at the moment, and we are struggling to create. Um, occasions, you know, for goal. And that could be the the weakest, uh, uh, you know, um, link for, for Betis if they don't manage to to find a striker soon. They, they sign off one one striker from Real Sociedad uh, um, uh, not long ago, two weeks ago. I don't think he's playing tonight um, against Granada because he's still new in the team. But I'm hoping that is a you know a solution because you need to score goals if you you cannot really go too far if you always draw uh, games because you only get one point um, and that was uh, the problem last last year and we continue with the same problem and it's gonna be hard but uh, well let's hope let's hope that the the they find a solution uh, because obviously. Yeah. It's just the beginning. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about some of the star players that we we as Celtic fans should look out for. Now, how do we look at the, the Real Betis squad? And there's some players that kind of jump out at me. I mean, 
William Carvalho, he's a Portuguese international. Uh, Christian Tello used to play for Barcelona. Sergio Canales, uh, you could go on, the list is endless. Uh, Martin Montoya, he used to play for Barcelona as well. But uh, talking about the team, you said there you're struggling for strikers, but what about other areas of the team? Where's Batiste strong in? What, what, where can the hurt sell? Like, that's the main thing here. I think uh, it's still to, to be seen because uh, with only two games played in this season, um, it's it, with and uh, new players in the in, in the team. Uh, it's, it's still too soon to to say what is the the strongest part of Betis. I'm hoping that the defense are doing better, you know, because uh, that was another another big problem last year. Too, scoring too many goals, easy goals, and then don't have opportunities to score goals. So that was always. Um, a problem for the team. So I'm hoping that the defense is uh, has improved, and and then the strikers uh, really start scoring goals. And we have a player, um, a French player, player was, um, um, what's the name? No, um, is it was a French international? No, Nabil Fikir, is it? Yeah, Fakir. Fakir is yeah. a is a great player. But it can be, um, I don't know if you use this expression, could be Miss Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in the same game. <laughs> yes. yep, it could absolutely. be one moment uh, brilliant, you know, and score a goal, and then one minute later he gets red card because he goes mental. And <laughs> he needs to have a balance and and, you know, be more steady and continues playing at the same level. No, it's not going to help the team if uh, one moment of greatness and then the second moment just go red car. So he needs to improve that and with him and with Sergio Canales and with our star Joaquin, which is, you know, still there after, you know, 40 years. Is still playing for Betis. We we hope that it's gonna, you know, it's gonna be a decent year. But historically, if you let me say, every year or every time Betis has has played the three competitions, you know, um, the the Liga, uh, Spanish Cup plus European competition, he always struggled because you know we don't have a a strong team to you know to compete in the three in the three competitions at the same level. So it's good to to have opportunity to play in Europe, but we may suffer in, in La Liga and, and in the Copa, uh, in the Spanish Cup, which is always the easiest way to get a trophy. So we cannot really, you know, throw to the to the bucket in the first stages. So it's gonna be interesting season. But as a supporter, I want to see Betis going as much as far as possible in the three competitions and doing well so we'll see we'll see i think as well for Sante, i mean we as celtic fans can can sympathize with the depth of the squad i mean we're going through a major rebuild ourselves in terms of the new manager pasta coglu a new team basically being formed in the last four weeks so i can understand what you're saying but in terms of the game itself now you have to be careful here for Sante. remember you're on a celtic podcast i'm going to ask you the the score prediction. What are you going to go for 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 the game? Well, do they play in Seville? <laughs> yeah, we're play, we're playing away from home the first. Well, the first time. Um, I, I will be happy. I'm sorry to say that with uh, one nil. <laughs> <laughs> one nil. Um, what what about yourself, Anthony? And obviously, Fasante made great points about their squad. I mean, the 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 captain. He's 40 years old. Yaquan. I mean, I'd probably butcher that name. They always do, but. They've got players all over the pits like Nabil Fikar, Sergio Canales. It will be a tough game. I mean, we're under no illusions. It's going to be a tough game. The group itself is a tasty group, and these games are what we look forward to as Celtic fans. But coming into the game, obviously, on the back of a 3-0 victory against uh, Ross County, what's, what, what do you think it's going to go like? Do you think it's going to be a positive one for, for, for from our point of view? Of course, well, you're always hopeful, uh, Stephen. It's it's definitely, these are the games that you, you look forward to as a supporter, you know, playing your trade against the... Uh, other, you know, other teams on the continent. Um, you know, Vicente went through a, a, a whole collection there. The, the names just uh, roll off the tongue. 
Um, these guys are, are very experienced. Uh, you know, they play in one of the best leagues in the world, so that there'll be uh, no shrinking violets, and especially having that that massive home advantage that we we discussed earlier. Um, I think I think we can be. Uh, we have to say that Betis will be the the, the favourites going into this one. Um, but you know, we've 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 made steady progress uh, since Ange Postecoglou's came in. Um, We'll really be looking to our home games to try and pick up uh, the most of our points in, in this campaign. But if we were if sitting here right now on Monday night, if somebody was to offer me a point, I would take grab it with both hands. But of course, we are on a Celtic podcast and we've got to be endlessly positive. <laughs> so I'm going to go the other way and say a narrow 1-0 victory for Celtic. I mean... I mean, my, myself, like, I, I probably go tend to go for a draw here, one each. I think if we get a result like that away from home, Anthony, as you said, we'd be looking at the home games to take advantage of. And that's kind of what we kind of have done in the previous Europa League groups. And the, the ones we got out of, I mean, we kind of took a, advantage of the home form. We got a point here and there away from home. And I think that's probably the best way Celtic can go about things, especially this early on in the season and under a major rebuild of Postacoglu. But, Vicente, coming to yourself before we let you go, in terms of the, the future aims for Real Batiste and the future kind of aspirations for the management team, the squad, where, as a fan, do you expect to see Real Batiste in just, say, three or four years? Well, it's, uh, it's very hard because uh, we always get um, g- great expectations and then the reality put, back, uh, put us back in the you know in different situation. And, and um, we, we had a good manager, and um, we, he, in the first year, he managed to, you know, put us back into Europe, which is, you know, a very, very, very great for for a team like Betis. With the new situation, uh, with money-wise, it's hard to, you know, to sign, you know, for better players. We just have to use more players from the, the uh, Real Betis B, you know, the from the youngsters, and and hopefully we get. You know, new new generations that they play for Betis, and um, and they stay in Betis because uh, what's happening normally is when you have a, a good player, uh, stays one two years, and then Madrid or Barcelona they take them away, uh, and then they don't even play for this team. So I don't see the point to go. But never mind. It's all to do about you know money sometimes. Uh, so it would be good to to see Betis winning something in Europe. But, but uh, it's hard to, to see that happening. Um, I'm sure, you know, the Sevilla supporters, the first time they won the UEFA League, they were thinking the same. And now look at them, they have six of, of them. So I'd be happy if we managed to win one, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, much like us Celtic fans, all we want is to try and put a, a dent into some European fixtures and maybe go far and... The more years go on, the more the finances get bigger between ourselves, La Liga, the Premier League, and it just seems near impossible to do that, Vicente. And you're right to actually point out Sevilla. I mean, under Unai Emery, they were the masters of the Europa League. I think they won three or four under him, and that's just fantastic. But, look, I want to thank you, Vicente, for coming on and giving us a a good insight into Real Batiste, the form, and the history about yourself supporting them. It's been great to to listen to and great to host as well, and I'm sure Anthony will agree. And... I want to thank Anthony for obviously setting this up as well with you, Vicente. Have you enjoyed being on the End of Sales podcast? It was, uh, it's been nice to chat with you guys. And um, um, I'm hoping that on Thursday we get a good game, we enjoy, and we get, you know, a, a decent result. The, you know, I'm not saying that uh, Betty has to win uh, for sure, but, you know, Fair play and good game. And if at the end of the, you know, the the group stages, we manage to be first or second or second or first, that's the main thing. Because I think that two the two first teams are the ones they qualify. So everybody happy at the end. Yeah, <laughs> real battles. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, we'll, we'll have you again on on the show, no doubt, in the near future when Real Betis visit Celtic Park, which I'm sure. Lots of things in terms of formal change up until that game. So thanks, Vicente, for coming on. We greatly appreciate it and we look forward to hearing from you soon. You're welcome, Stephen. And uh, good to, to hear you as well, Anthony. Oh, pleasure as always, Vicente. I'll, I hope uh, Betis get a good result tonight. And, um, yep, I'll see you at work tomorrow. <laughs> I'll see you. I'll see you 
in our favorite place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank night, you, Vicente. Bye bye, mate. Bye. And that brings us on to the next part of the show, and I can introduce my co-host, John. How are you, John? Hello. How are you, John? Are you listening mate? to that? Yeah. I was listening, mate. That was fantastic. And Vicente, when you're listening back to this, mate, I was, as I say, I was listening in. Thank you for coming on. It was good, good bit of insight into Betis and that. So I really enjoyed that. But yeah, what's happening, boys? I mean, but as as the way we started that show, we've still got so much to talk about. You know what I mean? It's Obviously, yeah. off the back of a, of a 3-0 victory against Ross County, but again, in between Dominic Mackay stepping down as the chief executive of Celtic Football Club, all the kind of the rumours and stuff stuff that are actually stuck with that kind of <coughs> kind of decision. So I've got plenty to start with. I mean, me myself, I'll start with the Ross County game first, and I'll come to yourself, John, to give you an opportunity to speak. Yeah. Um, in terms of the game, I mean, Albany Yeti came, came into this, this squad, obviously, after Kyogo was injured in international duty. By all counts, he scored two goals, and there was poachers' goals. The header was fantastic. And can Ronnie just remind me who scored the other goal? Because it's escaping my mind at the minute. It's uh, a, a, a yeah, he got two, and yeah. uh, and the first goal was the deflection from Cameron yeah, Carter so, Vickers. Yeah, Carter Vickers. So, yeah, so Carter Vickers got that goal, and the first half for me, John, was I just think we're just average to be honest. And I don't really think we got a second gear the whole game. Obviously, with Finney's three 0 and probably the stronger team. But what was your opinion of the game anyway? Uh, I enjoy, can you hear me all right? I I just it's not saying it's it's not saying the mic's picking up anything. But I, th- I th- listen. I I mean you just coming back from an international break. Uh, the guys who were on international duty um, have been playing regularly and training away for the club. The guys that have been here, um, I think I just said before that they, they've got wee bits of training sessions in, but not too much. Um, and I mean, you, you'll have the sort of just getting back into the swing of things type thing. So the first half was a bit lacklustre. I, do, I thought it was a wee bit, not boring. I wouldn't say boring was the right word because I think we dominated much of the possession again. We were getting up and we were creating or, or getting into spaces where you'd feel we were creating enough chances. We just weren't doing anything with it. Uh, I thought a Yeti um, in the first half, it, it didn't look like he was he was going to be scoring at all um, that night. But, I mean, like you says, you still got the full second half to go. And obviously, I just had them and gave them a wee talking to. Uh, and then, again, you sort of see the difference in uh, the, the, the the levels of stamina between Celtic players and the Ross County boys because they, they, they fair play Ross County. They've they done well enough in the first half. Um, not necessarily giving us too much to think about in terms of their attacking, but they've done enough defensively. Uh, to keep it 0-0, but you sort of seen the tiredness set in the name in the second half, uh, and we obviously capitalised on that. Yeah, I think that's a great point in terms of the fitness levels. Celtic kind of shone through towards the end. <laughs> but coming to yourself, obviously, <laughs> there were some interesting calls within the starting lineup. I mean, Stephen Wells got dropped into the team for Carter Vickers to start alongside Starfelt. Juranovic was in because Ralston was injured. Then further up the pitch, you had the likes of uh, Jada starting. Adaba was on, and Yeti came in as well. So... The team itself, I was a bit shocked that, that Wells got dropped. I don't know about yourself, but I, I mean, in the game, Carter Vickers and Star felt looked comfortable. But did you think that was a bit unfair on Stephen Wells? Yeah, it's maybe just been the case. I think he's been away on international duty with the, the under-21s. Um, and maybe, you know, Ange Postacoglu is just sitting there and thinking to himself, well, as we discussed on Thursday, when we thought that there might be the, the debuts would be getting handed out, if there's any... there's. I don't like to shout it. There isn't really any easy games, uh, or you'd like to think there isn't, uh, or that Celtic wouldn't approach any as such. But if there is a game where you can put these guys in and let them get some uh, game time under their belt, Ross County at home uh, fits the bill as much as any other. Um, And yeah, I think it was just, it's one of those strange ones. I agree with John. We sort of huffed and puffed in the first half, but we created enough chances to say that if we had taken them, and you're sitting 3-0 at half-time, Ross County couldn't really have had anything to complain about. Um, we had the lion's share of possession, as we often do at home. But I think just in the second half, again, we, we missed a few chances before we got that little break um, of the with the deflection. And after the first goal went in, it was the sort of, you know, we, we really just kicked on. Although we have yeah. to also give credit to Joe Hart for uh, a, a good yeah. save at 0-0 at at as well. That's, the, that's what... A good goalkeeper, a top goalkeeper brings you, it's those uh, point-saving moments in games, uh, especially at Celtic Park when 
he's not going to be called upon too often, but he can be relied upon uh, when he is. So it was one of those, you know, routine sort of victory or sort of victories that have became routine for us over the years. Um, three points, three goals, a clean sheet. And I just felt it was a perfect response to the uh, the sort of Derby Day disappointment, and obviously all the some of the, the, the sort of news that was breaking on Friday night. Um, we managed to to counter that with a, a good performance and a good win. Yeah, hundred percent agree. But in terms of the the debut players, John, did any of them impress you? I mean, for me, Carter Vickers looked solid. He strolled through the game. He ran the fights again. Obviously, a couple of times he did get skinned by their winger, but he's just adapting and he did play well towards the end of the game. Yada played well in flashes for me, but what about yourself? Who stood out in terms of the players who were making their first appearance? Yeah, I thought Carter Vickers strolled it, as you said. He, he looked comfortable. I mean, this is a guy who's not played in the while either, so um, if, if you were looking at anybody within that team or somebody whose legs might have been a wee bit tired or wasn't he going to last, um, you're probably thinking he'd be the guy. Uh, so I was surprised to see him start especially in place of Welsh, as you said, because Welsh hasn't put a foot wrong all season. He's been absolutely phenomenal. Um, so it was surprising, but it, I mean, it was definitely, I mean, he had a, a, absolutely a, a great play. I think he won Manny the match as well. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it just shows you the kind of, de- debuts are never easy for players, new players that come in. So um, it, it was it was good to see him actually not only get a goal, but get Manny the match as well in his first game. Um as far as I thought, Jota was great as well. I mean, it was it wasn't the greatest uh, debut performance we've ever seen, but he looked comfortable enough, and he looks like a player definitely. And I think over time, he's going to be somebody that I'll pull out the goods, and he'll be able to. I think he'll score a few goals, create a lot of chances as well. So it's quite good to see. Uh, and uh, as far as Juranovic, he obviously looked much more comfortable on the right because I mean we saw him on the left against Rangers. And he was out of position, but seeing him on the right where he was meant to be, uh, there was a couple of moments where he, he, he seemed to switch off, but I think by and large he was he was absolutely fine. Yeah, I mean, as well, Anthony, as, as John said, there are the debuts for Celtic, especially at home. Sometimes they go well, sometimes they go bad, and sometimes they're just in between. But, I mean, Juranovic, by all accounts, was a decent performance, playing in his right-back position. Um I mean, it was quite concerning as well seeing Greg Taylor go back off without recurring shoulder injury. Hope that isn't really a long-term thing because Montgomery came in and we played well there. I, I just, I just think the depth and kind of that position is a bit off. I, I don't know what you think well, about I, that. Anthony. I think, sorry, Anthony. Can I just about that because you mentioned the, the the recurring injury and if it was going to be long-term. The fact that it happened so soon and he's first came back since picking up that injury is worrying. And like you said, Bon Golly's he has. He, he doesn't look like he's got a, a career at Celtic so Montgomery's the only guy we've got in that position and and that is a bit of a concern especially as it was an area where we're saying we maybe needed some depth in before the window shut uh, and ultimately we didn't actually pick him up I know that boy Scales can play yeah. there uh, but I mean is that going to be enough as well? It's one of the things we'll have to just wait and see it was going to touch upon Scales but obviously we didn't see him play and in regards to the, the debut players themselves Anthony as John said, who, who stood out for you like in terms of the star performer in that bunch? Uh, for me, it was Carter Vickers, uh, to be honest, which might sound surprising given that he didn't have a hell of a lot to do, but it, he was very, very steady. Um, I've seen one comment online describing him as having the physicality of Bobo Baldy and the class of Paul Elliott. So, yeah, no pressure mm-hmm. at all on the young man. Uh, but, yeah, I, I felt he, he really strolled it and he, he looked like he'd played there for years. Uh, and Jota as well, uh, you know, Juranovic just sort of, it was steady uh, without being flashy. And Jota showed glimpses of what he can do. And I think when he sort of builds relationships with his uh, teammates and, you know, they, he gets used to where each player will, will uh, he can start sensing where each one's going to be. I can see uh, him having a, a real impact at Celtic. Um, but yeah, as uh, Saturday afternoons go, it was uh, a very pleasant uh, day out. Yeah, I mean... This has been kind of an up, up front, up down show, hasn't it? Like, do you know what I mean? In terms of starting with the Betis game first and moving on to Ross County, but it, it was the way we started. It was brilliant to do that with Vicente. And in terms of the, I mean, the breaking news that kind of came out of Celtic, John, on the Friday, that Dominic Mackay stood down from position of the chief executive role. Now, there's been a whole lot of rumours, a whole lot of 
what's been going on and voice notes from certain players that have been debunked by the players themselves, so they aren't true. But there has been articles released by like the likes of Steve McGowan for the Daily Mail that kind of go in depth the why this didn't work out and why Mackay chose to leave. And what are you saying to it? Listen, me, I, it, it's an awkward one, eh? Because for me, when Mackay was appointed and he came in, and he, he actually he officially started doing his job. I thought he sounded, he, he was saying all the right things. He was, he appeared to be doing all the right things. He'd done the, the fan media conferences, and that was his idea. He mentioned that he was going to modernise the club and everything else. Uh, so, to last as long, well, to go as long as he did, what was it, 75 days in total or something like that? I, I don't That's know the exact crazy. Um, to then resign. Um, and, I mean, as it always is with Celtic, uh, the statements are shocking. Um, they just, there's no transparency. They just keep everything very, very basic. So, the personal reasons think could mean anything, and I really do hope and pray that it's nothing serious because I've seen a lot of vile, absolute vile nonsense for Celtic fans as well, and it, it's it's ridiculous that people come out with this stuff, and it pisses me off. I'll be honest because the guy's not done anything to want it, right? He's came in, he's taken a position, and for whatever reason, he's felt the need he needs to step down. Now, be that if it is personal reasons, and again. I hope that's not the case and it's nothing serious. Uh, but if it's anything else and it's something to do with behind the scenes, that's at board level. That's not his fault. So for fans, Celtic fans especially, to see them attack him and call him all sorts and see some of the absolute shite I'm seeing for some Celtic fans is ridiculous. And it, it, it's really, really annoying. But as, as far as Mackay's think, that, that, I mean, like I said, I pray and hope, whatever it is, that he's all right, his family's all right, and it's nothing... There's nothing untoward or there's nothing bad or anything like that that he's, he's felt the need he has to step away. I've heard various different things, but you don't know what to believe. So this is why I'm being careful about what I'm, at, what I'm accounting it to. But what I will say is I'll, the bulk of the stuff that I'm hearing seems to be pointing the finger at, at the board. Um, their failure to uh, back him um, and his or, or his suggestions to modernise the club and things like that not being happy about the the money that just kind of free spending. Um, Mackay not being happy about the length of time it takes to get some transfers out of the line and some abs- being missed because of the, the dilly-dallying, which is hard to disbelieve. Because it, I mean, we've been through this with, with Celtic. It, 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 it's it's easy to believe stuff like that when you hear it because we've been through it before. And it does. It, it, if somebody was to say that to you now, you'd be like... It's, you can't expect it, and that's the sad thing. And again, we don't know the reasons. Uh, and as I said, I hope everything's all right. But if it is anything to do behind the scenes, and it's to do with the board and their interference or anything like that, then every single one of them, and this includes Dermot, like tap to bottom through that boardroom, need to just walk away. And ASAP, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, I echo what you're saying there, John, in terms of personal reasons. I hope it's nothing to do with him himself, with himself or his family. I mean, we all echo that on the End of Cells podcast. But coming to yourself, Anthony, I think John makes a great point in terms of the various different stories reading and the likely sources to believe, the likes of Stephen McGowan, because he's apparently close to the, the kind of Celtic hierarchy. Alison Conroy released an article as well. And it's all pointing towards the fact that there was kind of disagreements in the back in, the back in terms of the boardroom Ian Bankier wasn't liking the way Dominic Mackay was going about business. And there's people saying as well that Dominic Mackay wasn't suited to the role at the end of the day and sadly called it quits before it got too far. But what's your take on it so far? Well, on Friday when the news broke, Stephen, we as a, a group sort of looked at the statement and we sort of collectively agreed uh, unanimously as a group not to record a, an instant sort of reaction show. Um, and we sort of, the main reason for that was due to the, the sort of vague sort of elements of, of Celtic's statement, the first part, of course, being personal reasons. And, of course, we didn't want to record anything really off the cuff that we could then maybe regret over the weekend if if it was perhaps something uh, to do with healthcare. I, I suppose even at the time we're recording this, nothing has officially really came out. So we are still perhaps, you know, speculating uh, more than we would like. But I think over the course of the weekend... I think it's been very clear to see that although 
there's just been so much uh, nonsense and, and fake news uh, circulating around the, the usual outlets as there often is with, with these things. There is enough there is enough smoke among certain rumours that you can sort of, whilst it's not maybe not cast iron truth, certainly elements of it would starts to paint the picture of uh, what's went on behind the scenes. Um, Celtic will have their version of events, I would imagine. Uh, Dominic Mackay will as well. We don't know how this is going to affect um, Ange Postacoglu either, um, you know, given the the relative closeness of the relationship that those two had. Um, regardless of who's in the right, who's in the wrong, or, or anything in between, the fact of the matter is that Celtic have lost a chief executive, a very well sought after chief executive, uh, may it have to, has to be added to it as well, in less than 100 days uh, in his tenure. Yes, he came in. Uh, to sort of shadow uh, the outgoing chief executive, Peter Lawwell, in sort of April time. Um, but let's not forget, he, his role did not officially start until July the 1st, um, which is, is incredible, really. Um, if rumours are led to believe that Celtic just, they, they weren't sure of, of where he was going, then he's surely got to be given a chance um, to sort of justify some of the decisions that he's uh, perhaps coming to. I mean, Let's not forget, this is a board that, despite knowing all of Neil Lennon's limitations, uh, still left him in post way after it was obvious to anyone that could see uh, that the dressing room had been lost. So the idea that you, you know, you, you cause this uh, sort of cloud of, of uh, sort of unknown and sort of rumour mill, starting rumour mills around your own stadium um, on, the, on the fact of you're maybe just not quite sure if this person's going to fit in it, it's really really bizarre it's, I'm, I'm being charitable by saying it's bizarre but i think we can you can imagine just you know i feel perhaps a bit more stronger than that um but i think we also have to be careful to you know the the, the automatic thing is to, to to start picking out certain individuals but certainly from the more reputable sources it seems to suggest that this isn't actually anything to do with our, our previous chief executive so i think we've got a you know, we've got to watch where we're, we're firing our shots, so to speak. Um, but with regards to the, the whole look itself, you know, I was impressed by Dominic Mackay when he came in. Uh, his record at Murrayfield spoke for itself, I felt. I, I think him and, uh, and the new manager seemed to have a good relationship. And, you know, we, we, we signed a lot of players, yes, but that was all accounted for with, with player sales. Um so it's it's very bizarre that it's happened. And the other thing as well, which is why I think we, we, we can almost with a certain degree of confidence say that it's not been anything medical is his behaviour in removing Celtic from his LinkedIn profile. And also the fact that Celtic's statement was very, very cold. It was, I mean, we're all, we're all uh, old fans of the WWE wrestling. It had very much a future endeavours sort of speech, sort of element to it. Um, when that, that sort of cold, sterile, thanks for your efforts, but we move on. It Whereas, wasn't just that, Anthony, that you, and you make a valid point there about that statement. What was it they said the, about the, the, I forget his name, the, the, the head of legal? Uh, yeah, was it very much Michael. a team player? Like, a, the, yeah, and has the full confidence of the board. They gave they waxed lyrical about his previous experience. And, you know, I've, I've seen papal candidates with, with, with less uh, lyrical waxed about them. Uh, than what this this individual seems to have, but the, the worrying thing for me is that this guy has been at the club in a you know sort of high position for for eight years now. Um, it, this does not strike me as a fresh idea, modern approach. It seems to be very much uh, you know repeating the same thing again and again and hoping for a different result. So it's as I say, no matter the. the well, we, the, us mere minions will probably never know the, the, the full story. Celtic will have their version of the truth. Dominic Mackay will have his. There will be a whole cloud of hearsay, speculation and conjecture. But at the whole heart of it, um, there will be the truth in there somewhere. Um, but no matter who's in the right and who's in the wrong, uh, having a chief executive of the biggest club in Scotland in post for less than 100 days... Uh, does not make for good headlines or good reading. I remember yeah. back, do you remember back when the, the press conference when Ange Postacoglu and Dominic Mackay and Ian Bankier were sitting together and we did a, a podcast about it and Ian Bankier looked like, he, do you know what I mean, looked so angry like he didn't want to be there. He, he spoke like three words and off he went again. But 
I think it even stems back as far as then. It seems like to me, John, that Dominic Mackay, his ideas were maybe a bit too forward-thinking for the board, and they've reneged on their decision to keep him in long-term post and get him off the ship now, so to speak. And you, after you bring it back to Neil Lennon, what people fail to realise is Neil Lennon was in with the board anyway. Dermot Desmond's close friend and Peter Law's close friend, and maybe they didn't like the way Dominic Mackay was going about things, because I've seen something, John, that... Dominic Mackay rejected the advances of Peter Lowell in terms of help, and he wanted to go alone and bring his own ideas in. And That's then obviously the yeah, and, and obviously the breakdown in relationship with Ian Bankier came quick, and there's rumours he might be standing down as well. So it's an absolute mess. And, and you're right to point out Michael, Michael Nicholson as well, John. I mean, this guy's been closely linked with Peter Lowell for years, and Anthony rightly alluded to, he's been in position at Celtic now for nine years, and now he's walked into this job. And we know from experience he'll probably get the job on a three-year contract and nothing to be said about it. Well, that that definitely shouldn't be happening um, because uh, I think the, the statement as well tried to sort of push or allude to the fact that he's experienced in that role by saying he, he stepped in in executive roles during his tenure um, at, at Celtic. And th- that is nonsense, man. And the, like you said, th- th- that statement itself was very cold and very vague. And there was, there was certainly underlying tones of sort of no no point in the blame but like taking sly digs that if, if you sort of if you were to go through it word for word then it, it looks like it's taking a dig at Mackay in all honesty the way some of the wording used and, and stuff like that and yeah I, I mean like I say we don't know and we probably will never know because we know the Celtic board and we know the, the hierarchy at Celtic are never going to come clean and never going to be transparent because that's just not what they do. That They've never done it. Um, Mackay, whether he or no, he feels a need at some point to come out and disclose what went on. Maybe some point down the line he might do that. If he does, I'll be inclined to believe what Mackay says because I don't know why he would lie about it. The fact that he stepped in so soon uh, and if he came out and then said something that was uh, sort of pointing that it was stuff that was going on behind the scenes. It was lack of faith in him, uh, lack of them sort of looking to um, take on his ideas and stuff like that. Then, I mean, that that would be entirely believable. I, mean, there's, I don't think there's any or many Celtic fans who would see that and then say, no, that's that's definitely not happening in, in, the, in the boardroom at Celtic because they've been like that. that this It's nothing new. And it, it, like I say, it's no surprising at all if that is the case. Um, but yeah, it's it's just madness, it, and that it's 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 hard for us as fans to sort of wrap our heads around because you you still listen. See, as fans, we've got a right to ask and we've got a right to be told the truth and for the club to be transparent. But again, that's no how they work, and we know that that's not going to be the case, and that's not what they're going to do. Um, let's talk about Bankier potentially stepping down as well. Uh, if that's true, then. Cheerio, bye. Um, absolutely won't be missed. I don't. I mean, other than what has he done at Celtic, other than just occasionally have his name thrown in on a on a statement? Like he's not a face in the club. He doesn't. Need, I, I don't know what he's like. For me, in fact, listen, most of these guys on the board are the same, and they all just need to go. I think it's time that there was some. That, for me, anyway, like. The messy last season and the How saga was the last straw for me. They bring in any Mackay, Mackay's appointment to Ange, uh, and sort of the, his talk about forward thinking and modernising the club and everything else was enough for me to say, right, do you know what? Maybe the board have done things right this time. And see the fact that this has happened now. I've just, I've every part of my being is telling me that this is due to the board and there's something going on behind the scenes. And because of that, I just, I can't. I just want them to leave. Like, just go as far as I want them all to just pack it in. Well, I mean, they're not even on thin ice anymore. That ice broke years ago. And especially even when Neil Lennon was kept in charge, as Anthony said, well longer than he should have been. They should have been well gone or at least standing down from position. But they're comfortable in there, John. They really are. And I don't think... But this is the thing. See now that the whole COVID restrictions and everything, there needs to be and there should be some form of peaceful protest because as fans we can't you can't stand by and just continue to let it happen because that yeah. just makes us as bad as them. And I, I think like it, Anthony says, and they made a fair thing. What's the definition of insanity or something? As you say, Anthony, is repeating the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. If you stand as a fan and as a fan base, 
if we stand by and continue to let stuff like this happen, then we're bringing it on ourselves because it, it's you need to at some point you need to go ah, enough's enough. And for me, mm-hmm. but that we've hit that point now, and it's not a case yeah. of thin ice as you said, Stephen. It's the, the ice is broke; they're gone, yeah. and they shouldn't they be rescued. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the double act, Anthony, for a wee minute. Anyway, well, former double act and Posta Coglu and Dominic Mackay. And I remember in the fan press conference, there was all them kind of the memes going around. Get someone who looks looks at Anne's the way Dominic Mackay does, and all that love and look he was giving them. And that for <laughs> me, it's it's a bit of a worry. I, I don't know. Obviously, Anne's Posta Coglu's come out and said, "Be careful with the narrative of who brought me to the club." I mean, read read into that what you will, but. Do you think it's a wee bit unsettling for Anne seeing all this happening behind the scenes and Celtic are still without heads of recruitment in every position? They're without a director of football, sporting director, chief scout, head of recruitment. It's a it's an absolute shambles, isn't it? Well, I think that's one of the reasons why we have to give Ange Postacoglu so much credit that he's, in spite of all of it, regardless of whether, you know, whoever brought him in or what sort of structural changes he would like or or anything really, anything that's background noise, you know, it it, it could very easily have a, a detrimental effect on the on the playing squad um, and results. But in spite of all this, because this must have been going on, you know, weeks before, that this didn't all just happen on Thursday night going into Friday morning. He has still been able to keep, the, as I keep mentioning, the sort of tunnel vision, take each game as it comes, try and put together uh, some results. He's managed to get us into the Europa League, and we're in a, a you know, we're, we're we're doing steady in the league. And as I say, I've, I've fast to expect our, our, the the away record to improve, uh, you know, very quickly. So he's managed to keep things ticking over, um, in spite of all of this going on in the background. Uh, like, and just the same goes for his uh, post-match press conference on Saturday. Like most other things he's done since he's came in, uh, I was very impressed with it. Um, I think he he negotiated it uh, quite well. He sort of he managed to he he may well have his own private thoughts, but we certainly were not privy to to that. He didn't cause open warfare with the support by either backing or uh, condemning uh, the banner that that was uh, unfurled halfway through the match. Likewise, he didn't wax lyrical about the board either. It was um, it was very much uh, you know keeping both sides onside uh, so to speak so I think he'll hope now that you know that this is all of these sort of rumours and, and you know sort of gossip that they can continue on in the the, the newspapers uh, indefinitely but I think for him he'll be quite glad to just get out there as we've seen on the on the mic'd up training session he loves being out working with the players um, there's no transfer speculation now uh, for a few months he'll be quite happy just to focus on each game as it comes but um, yeah, there definitely has to be uh, there are issues uh, above Ange uh, that certainly need addressing sooner rather than later. I think they make up issues, they make up training sessions. Obviously, they're a thing of the past, and I think it was well publicised that Dominic Mackay was behind that. Do you know what I mean? So I, I, I just don't know, John, in terms of the direction the club are going in. I mean, this, Dominic Mackay obviously spoke about in the fan press conference about leading world-class facilities, world-class kind of management behind the scenes. And you look at the the, the fact that likes of teams like RB Leipzig, Salzburg, he, he name-checked Brentford as well with their sporting model. And it just seems like to me that the Celtic board have went, nah, that's not for us. Let's stick with the same mould as Anthony said. That's because they're all dinosaurs. And well, that's, that's another reason why they need to go. I mean, there's nothing in it of... An innovative. <laughs> now you're doing <laughs> a me. Struggling. You're doing me now. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing innovative about the, the the Celtic board or anything like that. That's why I think it was as fans we were. It was so refreshing to hear Mackay speak about it and say about mentioning these clubs that we know have like um, world class infrastructure and and and, and modernised and, and and moving along with the times um, and. It was refreshing to see him come out. The fan media thing again. I thought that was fantastic. Putting the fan media before the print, the, like the print media, um, and, and and giving the fans a say and giving them the opportunity to speak to them, the manager and players and things like that. The the mic top sessions giving us a bit of insight. That's modernising. Very small things, and I'm sure he had many many ideas uh, that he wanted to implement. But again, this. this 
I really, really don't understand what is going on. Um, but everything seems to be pointing at the the board and the powers that be, essentially. Uh, the the mess that went on last season, the the, the issue with how um, the and you thought, right, okay, maybe they're starting to get the things together, as I said earlier. Um, and then this happens again, and you're just, it's like one step forward, two steps back. And it's, it's yeah. just, it's it's frustrating um, as a fan. Um, like Anthony, though, you're hoping, like Ange, obviously, he's a footballing man, and he wants to just focus on the football, and now he can focus on the football. He doesn't, he's never seemed like the type that's going to get involved in any nonsense with the press. If, I'm sure if they ask him, uh, or, or if they get close enough to ask him any sort of question regarding the Mackay situation, he'll probably avoid it. He'll do it in his own way. Um, he'll, he'll, he'll just answer it in the, the way that he answers most questions that he doesn't want to answer, and he'll deflect them expertly. And like you just hope that he can sort of block that out in terms of the the players and everything else. I know that it'll, it'll have some effect. I mean, because the players are why I know what's going on. Um, but I'm I'm really really hoping that they can just focus on their football and then just let the results do the talking and do do all their talking on the pitch and that it doesn't actually sort of affect Andrew his relationship with with the board because if that was to happen and that relationship broke down and, and then we lose a manager at it I know I don't know I'm maybe jumping the gun and that that's like the furthest thing that's what's happening but. Do, do, there is a thing called the domino effect and stuff like this can trigger it and it's worrying and like I said I think there's been a few articles as well for other Celtic media that have asked the question and we need to ask the question like what the, the board need to come out and tell us what's going on and give us an actual they need I mean we, we, we've been begging for it for months and months and months before all this before Mackay before Ange during last season we were begging for clarity and we've still not got it and this is just, as I said, one step forward, two steps back for me, and it's it's mental. But I, I just want to focus at the minute, or, or I'm hoping we can just move on and focus on the football. Well, speaking about the football, obviously you heard me, Anthony, and Vicente talk about the upcoming game against uh, Real Betis and give our score predictions and stuff. So obviously before we wrap up the show, I want to give you the opportunity to talk a bit about the game and how you're looking towards it, what kind of result you're expecting, and just the end of the wee score prediction from yourself too. Yeah, I, I thought that the, there were fair predictions. I agree firmly with what Anthony says. Uh, if, if you were to offer me a draw, I would take it. I don't think there's any shame in that. Going away to Batiste, um, coming away for that game with a point would be a fantastic result for us at, at this stage of the season. So um, if, if I'm putting all my eggs in a basket, I, I would say it's going to be a score draw. I'll say 1-1. Um, I, th- I still think that there's defensive failures on their end, and I think a team like Batiste might be, especially over there, uh, might sort of capitalise on that, but I think there's enough about us to create chances and score as well. So one, one, two, two. I think there'll definitely be goals, um, but I, I'm going to I'm going to play it safe and go for a draw. Um, I think we'll miss Kyogo here. Um, uh, Yakumakis. I'm hoping we get to see some of him. Whether or no he's going to be ready or no is another thing. Uh, there was no other strikers on the bench against Ross County. We had it yet, and that was it. Um, so I'm always not another case of that. Uh, I'd like to see uh, Marcus get a, get a, get a chance, be at just at some point, even if he's coming off the bench. Um, but yeah, I, I think it, it's going to be a great game, a fantastic occasion back to European football. Albeit, no, the Champions League, but Europa League still uh, a top competition in its own right. Uh, and you mentioned as well, obviously, this is the first time it's been held in Seville since the last time uh, we went, and uh, we're in a position now where is it the first time? I might be getting that mixed up. Because uh, Seville have won it a couple of times, and did they not get to host it again? Um, I think they, I think one year there was in Seville again. Aye. Uh, in either case, though, uh, it, these things happen. Eh? Fairy tales happen. So, uh, I mean, as as we said, said uh, if we can do a Batiste Celtic one two, I'd be happy with that. Uh, come the end of the group. Yeah, I mean, it's a game we're all looking forward to, and I want to thank yourself, John, for coming on halfway through the show. Obviously, listening in to. Me and Anthony and Vicente. And Anthony, I want to thank yourself for, for getting Vicente on the show. It was great. Have you enjoyed this one? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Stephen, I, I, it was great that Vicente was able to join us tonight. Just when the, the draw was made, I thought this was a, a, a wee opportunity. We could maybe get this, uh, maybe put something together. So, and it's and it's just worked out perfectly. So, 
again, Vicente, uh, gracias, amigo, for uh, for uh, joining us. I've just said amigo there rather than senor. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm worse than Del Boy, man, honestly. Uh, but yeah, here's hoping for a good uh, here's hoping for a good result, uh, a good game, and a good result. Oh, we're hoping, obviously, Celtic edge it. And uh, yeah, it's all good. Well, I mean, that's a good way to end the show, amigo. But <laughs> to everyone who's listening, <laughs> stay well and keep safe. Hail, hail. <laughs>